Hey, tennis fans, you're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Mike, a new season is upon us, clay court season. We have Canada upcoming in a crucial qualifying tie in Vancouver against Belgium. And also this week, we spoke to a Canadian tennis player that I'm frankly surprised we have never had the chance to speak with in Catherine Sebov. Yeah, I, I agree. It kind of felt funny when we were speaking to her and saying for her first ever visit on Matchpoint Canada, because it's not like she's come out of nowhere. She's been on the Canadian scene for a while now, being 24 years old. But but it seems like she's kind of having a breakout moment. So great timing to have her on. And the fact that she's going to be uh, part of the Billie Jean King Cup squad for Canada is a nice sort of cherry on top. But I think we would have had her on regardless because of the way that she's kind of shot out of the gates to start 2023, really making some great strides at this stage of her career yeah absolutely and uh you know we we discuss now her being added to that roster uh, of course because of bianca andrescu's injury great uh, for her to step in and compete with canada and uh, you know qualifying for the australian open the front end of the year and having some great wta results as well so without further ado here's our conversation with uh, canadian tennis player katherine sebov You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada, and we are so happy now to be joined by a Canadian tennis player who has soared up the rankings these last several months, recently breaking inside the top 150. Catherine Seboff, thanks so much uh, for joining us for the first time on Matchpoint Canada. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you, and uh, what a great season you've been having so far. We've just been really enjoying the progress that, that you've been making. Uh, including qualifying, it looks like you've got a 14-4 and win-loss record, which is just terrific so far in 2023. Been named to the Billie Jean King Cup roster for Team Canada as well. Uh, how proud are you of what you've accomplished so far this tennis season? I'm definitely very happy about uh, my results and, um, you know, how I've been progressing uh, this, well, well, not just this season, but uh, since last year. I had a really good year last year and, you uh, I just felt like a steady, I had a steady, um, <clears throat> like a steady progress and uh, steady results. And um, yeah, I'm I'm very proud of uh, what I've accomplished, like beating a few really good players and actually playing like top five players and uh, a top 10 player and um, very excited for what's to come and, and very happy with uh, what's happening right now. Yeah, you won the ITF event here in Toronto recently, but at the WTA level, also making strides, uh, qualifying mm-hmm. for the Aussie Open uh, recently in Miami as well, uh, getting a main draw um, win there too. What, what's the biggest achievement for you this season or um, a moment maybe where you realize that that you've taken your game to, to another level? Uh, well, definitely beating players like um, Noskova, Frokvirtova, um you know davis last week like that shows where my level is you know if i'm capable of beating top 50 players then i'm definitely showing like a very good level and um so that kind of shows me like where i am and uh um i would say qualifying is definitely a a very good accomplishment at that level of tournament like grand slams and uh wtas um 
to be honest, like I love playing those qualities because it gives me those matches. That match experience is extremely valuable for me right now uh, to be exposed to, um, you know, the highest level of players and, uh, you know, playing, beating them and uh, just, you know, that's the key to my development right now is uh, to get more of those matches. I wanted to ask about uh, your, your tennis background. I know you, you grew up uh, in the Toronto area. When did you first start playing tennis? Um, do you come from an athletic family? And uh, when did you maybe decide this is something you could pursue professionally as well? I actually, I don't come from an athletic, um, you know, background in terms of my family. Like my dad, he's a programmer. My mom, she was in, uh, um, in design. And um, yeah, tennis was not in the plan at all. Like um, my parents, you know, way back when they wanted to just have an activity on the weekends and they decided to like try out tennis. And um, uh, I was just on a balcony watching them. And uh, one day I just decided to come down and try it myself. And since then I couldn't stop. (laughs) Turned into more than just a weekend activity, clearly. (laughs) <laughs> clearly yeah. yeah were were you were you like a a sort of a phenom prodigy type junior or was it uh sort of you were figuring it out more as a teenager or, or were you always sort of having success right away uh I would say I had success pretty early I had like when I was um very young like you know coming up under 12s under 14 um like in Canada I was uh always the top player um in juniors I did great I you know got to I think 22 in the world and in the world like uh, yeah 22 and um yeah I started out ITFs pretty well like I I mean I was I I don't know to call it prodigy but I was doing well like uh early on as well Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if we touch on just the the opportunity to get back at the Billie Jean King Cup and mm-hmm. you're stepping in on a really strong roster with Layla Annie Fernandez, Rebecca Marino, Gabby Dabrowski, mm-hmm. um, what does it mean to you firstly to to get the call to to join this team and and what's the relationship like between yourself and and those players? Do you know them well and do you guys uh you know mesh quite well? Uh well I have not played um, Fed Cup or Billie Jean King Cup in a little while, but um, I am definitely very excited and I was very happy to be chosen for this. I mean, it's unfortunate that Bianca wasn't wasn't able to participate. I know that she was, you know, picked for that. But I mean, for me, it was I I find it a great opportunity to uh, get some experience there. And uh, I mean, to play for your country, it's always an honor. And, you know, for me to be at the level that I am at to to do so is um, is also an accomplishment for me. So I'm I'm very excited for that. And in terms of uh, the team, um, I know Gabby, uh, we get along well. I like her. And uh, I mean, I I don't know Layla very well, to be honest. We haven't really spoken, but I hope to get to know her this week. And um, yeah, I'm sure like she's a great girl, um, definitely a great competitor. And uh, uh, Rebecca is awesome. Like she's, you know, an amazing human being and a great tennis player as well. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun this week and uh, I hope to come out with a win. 
great opportunity for tennis fans here in Canada to get to see women play live and in person. So I know they're pretty stoked out West. As you mentioned, it was really unfortunate what happened to Bianca when she did go down with that injury and it seemed pretty obvious that she wouldn't be able to compete for some time. Did you sort of expect you might get that phone call given the way that you've been playing this year? Uh, Well, I didn't, I, I wasn't thinking about Beijing King Cup at all. Like I was just thinking about, I was honestly, during that time, I was thinking about like the clay season, what's next in terms of that. Uh, so, but I guess I wasn't surprised that I got the call because I was, you know, doing really well this year. I'm in great shape. So I'd be a great, um, you know, addition to the team if, um, you know, to, to help win the tie. So, um, yeah, I guess it was, uh, I definitely, you know, deserved that call. When you look at the squad from from Belgium, uh, a little bit more of a veteran squad, I guess uh, you could say, uh, have you played any of those players before? And, and what's your sort of scouting report or assessment of your opponents for this one? Uh, I've never played Greet. Um, neither, uh, the only player I played was um, Bonaventure. Yes, Lean. Um, yeah, we had a tough three setter. It was years ago in Auckland. Um, she's definitely like a really good player and, uh, a tricky player. And, um, but I believe that we can beat this team. I think we have a really good, uh, lineup of, of players. And, uh, I mean, Layla's been playing well this season. Rebecca has me as well. Like Gabby's doing well in doubles. Like, I, I mean, I think we have a great chance. Anything can happen, obviously. But uh, I think if uh, we come out with a positive attitude and, uh, you know, prepare well that week. And um, I mean, I think we can do great. Tennis players always have such good memories. You mentioned a player who's like, oh, yeah, I played them 2016 here on this court. It was 6-4 in the third. Yeah. <laughs> you always remember every match. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, you, you know, you've achieved a, a lot in this sort of first few months of the season. But if you look at the season as a whole for 2023, are you a type of player who, who sets some long-term goals as well? Do you have anything you're setting out to accomplish, uh, you know, as the season continues? Um, I'm not as much like I do have long term goals, but I'm not as much like, um, long term in terms of result, like, like ranking wise, mm -hmm. I know where I want to be in terms of performance and what I want to be like physically. And, uh, you know, so I look at that, uh, I do want to get to the best of my abilities, like the, the highest of my potential in terms of uh, physicality, in terms of game, uh, in terms of mentality. So I can compete and beat players in the top five. If I can do that, then I can have uh, phenomenal results, but the results are secondary, uh, focusing on the process of uh, improving your performance and improving your game. That is number one um, and uh, the results will follow. Um, in terms of, yeah, so, but to, you know, improve, then you need those short-term goals. Okay. What are you doing, you know, today? What are you doing this week? What are you doing this month? Like, um, you know, planning the schedule in terms of, uh, how many tournaments you play and then, uh, how much rest do you get? And, uh, the training blocks are extremely important. So you're not just chasing tournaments.
I love I love that philosophy, and you, you touched on uh, experiences playing some top top players. You know, you played Garcia uh, at the Australian Open um, on a big court too, Rod Laver Arena. You played Jessica Pagula in Miami recently, Belinda Bencic. What did you maybe take away from from those matches, those experience, in in terms of of your level and and where you kind of want to get to? Uh, well, I mean, so far, uh, I've been getting killed. <laughs> by, by those players love the honesty love the honesty <laughs> but uh they definitely showed me where my speed should be and uh, how much i should be going for my shots and uh maybe there are certain things tactically that um i need to tweak and how i start my points and how i start my matches and how i go about um you know getting what i want um out of those players so that i can dictate my game uh, actually, right now, like I'm in the process of analyzing um, like Benchik's match and, you know, what went wrong there. And uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious to me, but um, I just want to study other players. How did they play her and why did they give her like a harder time than I was able to? So uh, for me, just like studying what I can do better and, um, you know, how I can, you know, like win next time you know or or at least have like a more competitive score um but i mean it also comes with experience so the more uh i get to play players like that and um actually like you know experience it in real life i think the more chances i will you know start to figure things out you know like i only had like what three matches with those players so um I think the more I play them, the more the easier it will be for me to, you know, sort of figure it out and, and beat them eventually. Is there another uh, top player on the WTA, someone that you really look forward to having a chance to sort of test your game out against either maybe mm -hmm. someone that you've looked up to growing up or or just someone that you'd really like to gauge where you stand versus, you know, their game at the moment? I want to try everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like... I have that mindset where I just want to play every single player there is. Uh, I definitely want to play Ons, Shabur. Uh, I think that would be a very interesting matchup for me. And, uh, you know, I, I always admired how she plays. And, um, you know, like, she's just a beautiful player. And um, I, I would love to experience that. And I want to play, you know, Jessica again. For sure. Um, and, um, you know, Benchik and, you know, and... Uh, Iga, maybe? Oh, definitely Iga, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I can't even pinpoint one player. It's like every single mm -hmm. player is has their unique qualities as a player, as a competitor. And I just want to try everybody, basically. You, you seem like someone who's very analytical just in terms of how you were talking about sort of the match against Benchich and watching the game film afterwards. Uh, are, are you someone who's kind of like 24-7 tennis, tennis all the time? Or what are some of the things that you do like to do away from the sport when you've got some downtime? If you can let our listeners a little bit into that personal side of, of your life off court. Uh, for me, tennis is life. <laughs> life is tennis. Um, so... For me, the more time I spend on it, the faster I progress. And um, I just, I love to spend time 
you know, training and, um, and yeah, analyzing and uh, just learning about the game and, uh, and not just the game, like equipment as well and, and things like that. What, what, what would I can do to help, um, help me perform and, and win out there essentially. Um, but I mean, I guess like I, I like to read, I like psychology. I'm also doing school, uh, part-time. So, um, yeah, doing university at uh, Indiana university East. Um, and, uh, yeah, right now I just finishing up a psychology course and, um, I'm going to do some, like, um, uh, some economics courses and communication courses later on. So I have school on the side and, um, yeah, I try to read books too. And, um, you know, occasionally watch shows, <laughs> but I don't really have that much time for that, for, for that, but n nor do I really want to, I kind of just want to focus on tennis and I'm just like, so excited with what's coming next for me you know I just feel like I'm moving forward so quickly and the work that I did um these past few years is just coming out finally and and I'm just like seeing it for the first time almost you know and it's just it's uh, too exciting to do anything else almost <laughs> I love it. You're, you're completely all in, which is, which is really cool. Um, a last question for me, if there was a dream tournament that you could win one day, what would that tournament be? Wimbledon for sure. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, it's such a classy tournament and so beautiful. Like, I mean, all, all slams have their unique qualities, but uh, just that one is would be a dream come true. Like every time I come there, like to the site, it's just, um, yeah, it's it's just a dream. You know, it's 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 unreal. Um, and plus, I, I love the um, I love grass. That's my favorite surface, along with hard and indoor hard. So uh, I love that fast low ball. So um, I think that. I can do like a lot of damage at that tournament and I hope to do so this year. And uh, yeah, I would say that's number one, but um, US Open, I love US Open as well. And uh, I was just in Australia, just um, it was a beautiful atmosphere, amazing tournament. And um, yeah, I would say like Wimbledon number one, definitely. I don't, I don't think I could do any damage on grass, but Wimbledon would be my pick too, if I had to pick one. <laughs> how, how about you, Ben? I, I'm a, well, I'm a bit of a clay guy. I love the French Open. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's iconic, but in terms of prestige and history, I think Wimbledon takes the cake for sure. Ben, Ben's the only one between the two of us that has a shot of being successful on any tennis court, by the way, but uh, <laughs> I, I like to try every now and then, you know? Yeah. My, my dream is to win the, the next 5.0 event in Toronto. So we're a little, a little far behind Wimbledon, but I just uh, want to keep beating my kids when I go out on the court with them. So that's my, just want to uh, beat your kids. That's, there you go. Yeah. yeah. The, the moment they go. get to that stage where they start beating me, is going to be a tough one for sure. Yeah. Um, Catherine, thank you uh, so much for joining us and uh, great to have you make your first appearance on Matchpoint Canada, the first of many, we hope. Uh, mm -hmm. All the best out West being a part of the Billie Jean King Cup squad and continued uh, success moving forward this year. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a great talk.
There you have it, our chat with Catherine Sebov. And I think I had told you a couple of weeks ago when I had seen her on the practice courts at Aviva Center, I thought she looked like someone who was so focused and locked in on her craft and what she was doing. So I felt a bit of satisfaction when she said that life is tennis and tennis is life. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, she pretty much admitted she's got a one-track mind. And so you were bang on with your assessment there because, I mean, that's the vibe I got. I don't know about our, our listeners, how you feel. Uh, after uh, hearing her speak there but to me it's just like she's dialed in and and she's not just content you know qualifying for a slam for the first time or having her first uh, WTA 1000 victory recently in Miami some players might kind of be oh that that's good I'm, I'm satisfied with that for now and 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 kind of soak it in and enjoy it and and the vibe I got from her was no no she's ready for more she's looking ahead and has her eyes on what's the next, you know, level or or or, or reachable goal that she can uh, attain. So I felt really sort of, uh, yeah, like inspired by her outlook. And uh, she means business. So I, I have no doubt that she's going to continue this impressive climb that we've seen so far from her this year. Yeah, and she seems quite analytical as well. I, I mean, she talked about, you know, playing some top 10 players and Garcia, Bencic, Bagula, and she already said she was reviewing that Bencic match, which was the one she most recently lost in, in Charleston. And I also appreciate her candor and honesty. It takes a lot for a player when they do lose in a lopsided scoreline to say, I got killed and laugh about it. You know, <laughs> you'll hear other tennis players being like, well, if I had taken this chance and won this here, it was way closer than the scoreline reads. And uh, for her to just outright admit that and realize like that sort of told me uh, that I have a ways to go to be able to compete against the top 10. That was really refreshing. I felt. Yeah. I like, I like that too, that honesty. And I think in, in terms of continuing her development, being around Layla Annie, being around Rebecca Marina, Marina, who's worked so hard the last couple of years to get her ranking back into the top 100. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski, who's also a consummate professional. I mean, I think being around these women is also going to be a big boost for her. Um, you know, she says she hasn't been a part of the the, the squad in, in a few years now. And uh, there was no doubt for me when Bianca went down, uh, which was absolutely terrible, Big loss to Team Canada, of course. It's not like Catherine or anyone else could come in and fill those shoes. But I don't think there was any doubt who was going to be the first person that Heidi Eltebach, the team captain, and Tennis Canada turned to. To me, it was an obvious ask, given the way she's been playing, that it was going to be Sebov. Yeah, exactly. And if we look ahead a little bit to this tie, which will be played in Vancouver the Friday and the Saturday, 14th and 15th, uh, Canada's roster with Leila Annie Fernandez, Rebecca Marino, Catherine Sebov, Gabby Dabrowski. Belgium is bringing Iseline Bonaventure, Greet Minen, Yanina Wickmeyer, and Kirsten Flipkins. And when I look at the Belgian roster, the first word that comes to mind is experience. Uh, these are a lot of sort of veteran players that have been around the tour for a long, long time. I would say they're not at their peak anymore, particularly, you know, a player like Flipkins who's had success in the past, but players who do know how to win matches, which will make it, I, I think, will pose the big challenge, really. It, it is a trickier matchup than you would think, because initially at first glance, you see, well, Elise Mertens isn't there, who's ranked in the top 30 mm -hmm. in singles and also a top-level doubles player. Uh, Zanevska, who's also, I think, their, their second-ranked singles player around number 75 in the rankings, also not there. But you can't take them lightly because Canada is also missing Bianca Andreescu, who's our top singles player right now. 
And as you said, they're they're experienced. And I think you can throw out some of these rankings, like Flipkins is outside of the top 300. But I think you'd give her credit for being a much more dangerous opponent than that with her experience. Uh, Bonaventure is, is number 85, and she's given uh, Canadian players some tricky matches in, in the past. Minin ranked 166. Wickmeyer was a former, what, top 25, top 30 player, I think, mm-hmm. at, at one point in time. Now she's hovering uh, just inside the top 200. But you can't take them lightly. I feel like this Belgian squad could still pose some problems for Canada if we're not on our best, despite the fact that I do give Canada the edge and having home court advantage with those fans out West is also hopefully going to be a big boost. But otherwise, I, I put these two nations actually closer than you might sort of think at first glance. Yeah, I I agree. One edge, I think, which is very crucial now is I would say the evolving development of how good Layla Annie Fernandez has become on the doubles court. And yeah, yeah, you know, that's obviously gaining experience consistently playing uh, these few weeks here with Taylor Townsend and winning some matches. She's super comfortable. Um, We know she likes to come to net, first of all, which is really important. I think uh, being left-handed, finding some angles that other players are unable to find makes her effective. And if she can mesh well with Gabby Dabrowski, and honestly, I feel like anybody can mesh well with Gabby on a doubles court. Maybe Uh, you and me could win some mixed, uh, (laughs) maybe not matches, but, but a few games maybe with Gabby, you know, right. She partnered with us. Yeah. Yeah. The Um, way she commands the net. So I think, I think they could really be a force if you are sort of forced into a crucial doubles tie and you have that type of scenario where you need to win a doubles match. Yeah. And I, and I think everyone's role is going to be pretty clearly defined here. I don't think there's going to be any illusion of where Heidi Altabak is going to play these, these women, Fernandez, number one, Marino, number two, Mm -hmm. Dabrowski and Layla for sure in the doubles match as well. And Sabov really only there, you know, in case uh, someone goes down or or a last minute sort of change or, or maybe we're up and we've already captured the, 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 the rubber and we can throw her in there to get some experience in a, in a dead rubber match in the fourth or fifth singles. But otherwise, I think it's clear where they're all going. And and I agree that Layla and Gabby, who have played a little bit together too uh, over the last year, uh, I, I think that that's a, a growing partnership that that could have some success. And uh, and as you mentioned, Layla's just getting more and more comfortable uh, with her doubles um, progression and, and where she's maybe not hidden her stride yet in singles. We've definitely seen her make up for that with what her and Taylor Townsend have been able to do together in doubles. Yeah, that's that's well said. And, you know, we wanted to pose the question as well with the healthy Bianca Andrescu, say she was there and you, you filled out this complete roster. Where is Canada maybe ranking in the landscape right now uh, of Billie Jean King Cup teams? And I wouldn't go as far to say they are the best in the world. I don't think you can say that, but I think they have to be among, you know, the probably the top five nations, I would say. Yeah, I don't put them quite as like an, an A or like an A-plus nation, but I put them as like a strong B-plus and, and pushing if they're yeah. all healthy. I mean, you look at the depth that the United States has. I mean, just with Jesse Pagula and Coco Goff, mm-hmm. both top 10 in singles and doubles, um, the Czechs are always super, super strong. Again, a deep field, singles, doubles, they've got depth. Uh, Russia and Belarus also have, um, you know, although... Are they able to play Billie Jean King Cup right now? I'm not sure if they're... I don't believe they don't so, are able right? to compete, and they're not playing in the qualifiers uh, okay, this, so there this you go, weekend. So. Probably because of what's happening on the world stage. But that aside, just in terms of tennis strength, I would probably yeah. put them ahead of Canada too. But but then I'd say Canada's right in there with some other nations that, that have that sort of depth. You know, the Chinese also have some pretty good players. But 
I also think that Bianca and Layla Annie are um, not yet performing quite at the level where we know they can. Although Bianca mm-hmm. was sure looking close before that unfortunate uh, injury against Alexandrova in Miami. Yeah, she was uh, really closing in on what I felt was her top level again, uh, which will be important for her. Should mention, by the way, Pagula and Goff are both playing for the Americans uh, in the tie against Austria and Delray Beach. And I think commendable for them to want to participate and go to that event. Same with uh, Elena Rybakina. Uh, she and Putin Seva will play for Kazakhstan in Astana this weekend against Poland. And Poland is without Iga Sviantek, so you have to probably favor the Kazakhs in that matchup. So that'll be interesting. Canada, definitely the favorite against Belgium. But as as we said, this could be tighter uh, than we think. And we hope all the tennis fans out West come out and support. They always do. Uh, it's a I'm really so good. That we're not I know there, it's a really honest, good. Eh? It's a really good strong tennis community out in Vancouver and and British Columbia, and and they always fill the house, which is awesome. I, I feel almost embarrassed that we're not going to be there, but it's just coincidentally, you know, I you and I both have some vacation time that's been mm-hmm. planned well in advance that this tie was announced. So for me, it's like I've already had these plans. I can't get out of them as much as I wish because I think we would have gone to Vancouver probably yeah. and and caught it live. So. Um, next time and um yeah if you're on the west coast or able to get there these events if you've never been to an international event it's it's a totally different uh, animal from a regular wta event it's just next level and the fans who are there are hardcore tennis fans really get behind it and um and i i think it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere and hey look let's be honest we don't get too many of these um you know international ties on home soil anymore i mean the davis cup on the men's side basically it's almost impossible to have a a home tie the way that they've reformatted it so Mm -hmm. um yeah go and check it out You, you won't be disappointed yeah well well said if we shift over to some of the wca action from this past week and we have the charleston open which is the official beginning of the clay court season for the women and a first title of the year actually her first title since june tunisia's anjabur uh defeating belinda bencic to win this title and just to make a parallel to our conversation with Catherine Sebov, I think when we asked her uh, some players that she would love to face, Ans Jabir was one of the first ones she actually named. And, you know, referencing how she has such a beautiful style and incredible game. And I feel like Jabir has been a little bit lost in the shuffle this season, not really posting the results we're used to. Uh, but this title was, I think, a key reminder that you know, when she is back in form, she's a top five player and sometimes top three. And she's someone who's who's pushing for a first Grand Slam. And I think she's going to have plenty more chances. Yeah, look, she finished 2022 so incredibly strong between the, the U.S. Open finals, losing to Sviantec and then making the WTA finals as well. And, you know, I, I kind of forgotten in the sense that after the Aussie Open injured and we didn't see her again until Indian Wells. And We've said it many times before, it's not easy to return to action when everyone else has been in, you know, full on go mode for months. So, you know, for her to have this result actually is kind of sooner than I would have anticipated for her to get back into things and to have it at the start of the clay court season has to be super rewarding for her as well. Yeah, I I think that's uh, well said. And, you know, it was an interesting tournament the way it unfolded too, because you had the top four actually filling out the semifinals, other semifinal play between Benchich and Jessica Pagula. And we've talked about how well Benchich has played this season, already winning a couple titles at the front end of the year and playing well at the back half of 2022. So she's obviously still in strong form. If we touch on Layla Annie Fernandez, 
against a scenario in the single side where she wins one and then she loses one. Nice first round win, pretty comfortable against Rodina, 6-3, 6-2. Then she loses to Paula Bedosa, 7-5, 7-6. Bedosa, former world number two player. I thought this was an interesting matchup because it was like, for me, two great young players who are kind of searching for their tennis again. And, you know, Bedosa, I thought was really close to Miami. She had a match point against Rybakina. Uh, so that's kind of a big win for her to beat Layla and make a little bit of noise in Charleston. And she plays really well on the clay as well. Yeah. Bedosa is kind of rounding back into form. So I don't think there's any shame in that loss for Layla. Annie, uh, I want to ask you just off the top, did you interview Bedosa last summer? I forget. Did, did we get her on the, no, I I hopped in a press conference with her and had a couple questions, but we didn't well, get an official okay. interview okay. with Paula Bedosa. No, fair. It's hard to remember sometimes, right? Because we, <laughs> I know, especially around uh, National Bank Open time, because we do get so many. And I don't know about you, but the years are starting to uh, blend into each other as well. The longer that sure. we have this podcast going with Tennis Canada, by the way. But um, yeah, fantastic player who seems to be you know getting back into her groove. And and for Layla Annie, I really feel. I've got a, a sort of a quiet, confident vibe about her this clay court season. I think this is where we're going to see her sort of step it up. And she is one of those players that can be dangerous on any surface. And certainly you go back to 2019, French Open junior champion. Yes. Last year, she was basically on the cusp of making the semis at Roland Garros as well, if it weren't for that injury. So I, I think she's got the game. And I, I just got a, you know just a feeling here that, uh, that something's going to click in the lead up to, to Paris for her. I agree with you. And a handful of her losses too have been a lot of sets going, you know, seven, six and incredibly tight tiebreakers, you know, a point here or there can change the outcome. And as we mentioned, uh, she's been playing good doubles with Taylor Townsend. That's a partnership that's really evolving. And I've heard they want to continue it through the year if they can. Uh, they did win their first match before losing uh, to Caroline Dolahide and Storm Sanders in the quarterfinal. I mean, it was 11-9 in the super breaker. Taylor Townsend, by the way, is now inside the top 15 in her ranking in doubles. Uh, so that that gives you a sense of how well she she succeeds with doubles. And Layla Annie Fernandez is breaking inside the top 40, which will be number 38 will be a new career high for her in doubles. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, yeah, didn't they say that one of their goals is to try to qualify for the WTA I doubles finals? I think they said that. So that's great. That means that there'll probably be some regular doubles from Layla Annie this year. And hey, you know, you're young, you got the energy and and why not go for it? And uh, hey, look, financially, it doesn't hurt either to get that uh, extra paycheck coming in those tournaments, too, if you're playing in the doubles draw um, as well. Uh, what One last thing to wrap maybe on the WTA side is uh, Jeannie Bouchard back in action, and and so nice to see her there. I mean, you know, you look at a nation like the United States, and we talk about how great they would be in Billie Jean King Cup with with who they have. And even if they aren't sending their one and their one A, you know they've got the depth in the top fifty, top one hundred. You know that few countries can even get close to. We don't have the same depth in Canada, but when we do talk depth, I think Jeannie Bouchard is definitely one of those names that that could be in the mix for uh, Billie Jean Cup play down the road. Uh, depending on how things go. She's back after yet another sort of injury layoff, and she's working with a coach that you and I got to know well. That's uh, Eric Heckman, who uh, was previously coaching Venus Williams and Serena before her uh, retirement as well from the sport. So I'm interested to see what this partnership can yield, and, and I'm really excited to see what Jeannie can do if she can stay healthy back out there on the court. 
Yeah, I think it's wonderful that she's still committed uh, to tennis uh, at this stage. You know, she she's been through a lot. Her career, you know, she's only 29 years old still, but she's had a very long career. I mean, the Wimbledon breakthrough in that 2014 season uh, came uh, you know, nine years ago. Uh, so that's an accomplishment that she was doing, you know, 19, 20 years of age, making a Wimbledon final, making a French Open final, getting inside the top five. So uh, a lot of success at an early age, which changes expectations, uh, struggles with form and, and injury. And it's really just been injury for her the past couple of years that's held her back. In, in 2021, especially summer and fall, I thought she was playing really good tennis. I mean, she made a, a WTA final at that stage. I, I still think when she is healthy, she's playing. She has definitely top 100 tennis in her, and I would say even better top 75 and maybe top 50. I, I yeah. mean, now I, I think any I think any of that's possible too. Absolutely, I, I could see her contending at a 250 level tournament. Uh, you know, confidence and health. You know, those are the two big determinants. I think really for Jeannie in terms of what she's going to be capable of in the in the later part of her career as she's approaching 30, but. You know, regardless of what she's able to do, I think one day we're going to look back and, and I think more people will come around to saying this is someone who was really um, integral in the development of the sport here in our country. What she did in 2014, making two slam semis and the finals of Wimbledon is still to date, I think, the greatest Canadian tennis season that we've ever seen in singles uh, in terms of just the consistent results at those mm -hmm. majors. Uh, made the fourth round of the U.S. Open, too, I think, at the tail end of that very busy year for her. Look, how many players, if they were offered that kind of season, would say in a heartbeat, yeah, I'll take that, even if I can never get back to that level again? Of course I'll take that. It's um, it's tremendous what she accomplished. And like you said, when she was so young as well back then. Yeah, exactly. And a great new partnership with Eric Heckman in her corner, someone who's obviously worked closely alongside Venus and Serena Williams, two of the greatest champions ever. If we shift over to the men's side, Monte Carlo, we... We're getting into the clay season. I mean, we'll talk about a little bit of action from this past week, but Monte Carlo underway, which is the first Masters 1000 of the season on clay. Novak Djokovic back in action. He's the number one seed. Sadly, our tournament is missing Carlos Alcaraz. Rafael Nadal says he's not ready. And both Felix Ojealiasim and Denis Shapovalov not in competition. I hate to call it an underwhelming Masters 1000, but it's... I, I guess a little upsetting to miss four four great names like that, especially, you know, Alcaraz, given what he accomplished at the Sunshine Double, winning one, making the semis. I really wanted to see him in the field here. Yeah, it's kind of a soft launch to the uh, the big clay court events with with all those names you mentioned not being there. Uh, Felix wanting to make sure, I think, that just health-wise, he's 100% ramping up to Roland Garros. Dennis maybe needing a training block to sort of work out some of the, uh, you know, the, the aspects of his game that clearly haven't been clicking as well as he would have liked since the, uh, the Aussie swing. And uh, it is strange not seeing Nadal in Monte Carlo, given that he's won 11 times there, uh, you know, just one of those, one of many clay court tournaments that he's totally dominated in his career, including a stretch where he won eight in a row, which just still, you know, blows your mind. It's just staggering. Uh, we do have Stefano Tsitsipas, however, who's won the last two years running. And and although he hasn't been at his best, um, you know, on the hard courts, maybe this transition back to clay is what he needs to get into the groove again, a place where he's had so much success uh, the past two years in a row. Yeah, there are certain tournaments where everything seems to really click for Tsitsipas, and Monte Carlo is definitely one of them. I also feel like, I, I mean, maybe this is stating the obvious. I feel like he's better on clay than hard. 
Uh, I think that's his favorite surface. Uh, French Open final going five sets with Novak Djokovic. Uh, winning Masters 1000s on clay. I think it's where he is most co- comfortable and where his game can do the most damage. The big question mark with Tsitsipas is, you know, he admitted that he played the Sunshine Double basically injured. So is he healthy? Is his body where it needs to be for him to make a run and win this tournament again? That's the big question for him. Novak Djokovic Sometimes he starts the clay season a little bit more slowly. Uh, I think the other year he's, you know, had a loss to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina early in this tournament. He's had an early loss at a clay event to Daniel Evans, where he just like hasn't found his footing yet. So it might be a bit advantageous, actually, that he missed the Sunshine Double and he started his training on clay a little bit sooner than a lot of these guys. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, the other thing in these tournaments, these early clay tournaments is there will be upsets uh, as we transition services. And you got to remember, it's not the same as back in the day. Like I feel like when I was growing up, there were a lot of clay court specialists. And I find now it's almost neutralized the surfaces. You know, the grass plays slower at Wimbledon and the hard courts can sometimes play super slow as well. Mm -hmm. You don't see as many of these guys that just go out and and really kick butt during this one specific time of the season. You got to be able to cut it on all surfaces, but there are still some guys that you can see out there that that you you might not want to face on a clay court the same way you would on a hard court and, and guys that can be tricky early on. So it'll be interesting to see how many upsets there there will be. And I know for you and me, we've been doing the Tennis Canada bracket challenge again this year, which is which is always kind of fun. And and I gotta say I've been doing a little bit better lately. So I'm feeling good about discussing that openly again. Um but uh it is tricky in the first clay court masters of the year to kind of you, you got to pick some upsets, but hard to say exactly where where they're going to be yeah uh no that's a good point of course i i think certain players from certain countries like the clay more than others uh i tend to lean you know these south american players who have so much training on clay and play with a lot of spin they can be dangerous for sure we know how good spanish players can be on clay i i'll tell you who i like for this tournament uh and he's just won his first title by the way of 2023 is casper rude it's surprising to me given um how much casper rude has accomplished uh that he hasn't won a masters 1000 specifically on clay you'd think he'd be a contender for all of them and given that he's on the bottom half of the draw with Pass, who might be slightly physically compromised you think maybe this is a very good opportunity for him to get to a final and possibly win his first yeah yeah agreed i mean i've got him so i'm going to tell you my my four uh semi-finalists sure. here in the bracket and it's really nothing staggering i'm a little bit uh you know ashamed to say i didn't go too bold here but i've got a uh, rude over CC pass uh, to get to the finals in, in one half of the draw. And I took Djokovic over Zverev uh, Zverev, who I feel like has had kind of an underwhelming year so far, but could on the clay sort of, you know, have that sort of kicking back into his form. And, uh, and I think I took, I don't have it up in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure I took Djokovic over rude for, for the title here. So nothing earth shattering uh, on my side, I guess I okay. went with, um... with playing it safe. Yeah, that, that's fair to play it safe. Uh, look, Djokovic has won Monte Carlo, uh, I believe, a few times, but the last time was in 2015. I feel like Yannick Sinner is playing unbelievably well right now. Uh, Sinner does have the game to beat him, so if there's a chance to really beat him, it's when Novak is kind of playing his first tournament in a bit longer than usual, and Sinner is maybe in match form. So I actually have Sinner upsetting Novak in the quarterfinals, and I have Sinner beating Zverev in the semifinals, and then I have Rude over Sinner in the final. So 
Um, we have some differences there, <laughs> but, there you go. There you go. Uh, you know, well, overall, I think we've both been doing well. I know we trade text back and forth throughout these weeks and there've been some weeks where you were, you were in first one week, weren't you in the, uh, in one of the brackets for a little while anyways? Yeah, I had a really good start with, I think I did very well at Indian Wells. Uh, yeah. then, you know, the wheels fell off a little bit in Miami, but it happened. It's, it's hard to make, it's hard to maintain that. They, they got some pretty sick prizes this year too. So if you haven't uh, checked it out, go over to the Tennis Canada website, uh, click on the bracket challenge. And, and even if you haven't done the first few, you can still get in there and contend in individual tournaments and, and maybe make a, a late season push. So it, uh, it gives me another level of interest, not that I need to follow tennis any more closely than I already do, but it just gives that other little more uh, motivation to sort of follow along and, and a little bit, bit of competitiveness there too with, uh, you know, you see some familiar names in that, that bracket challenge. So, uh, yeah, I feel like we're holding our own so far and, uh, Hey, in a week's time, we'll, we'll see how we both fared in this one, but great that we're doing this and that tennis Canada is doing this for all the men's and women's, uh, 1000 level tournaments in 2023. Yeah. I love it. It's a great way to follow along with uh, the sport and maybe matches that you wouldn't otherwise always watch. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our guest, Catherine Sebov, who will be in competition with Canada at the Billie Jean King cup qualifiers. We will talk to you next time.